Um, great, man. I think we've gone through quite a lot of uh, mistakes then. There's so many. I know you've definitely got some um, on your list. So, uh, Brian, man, do, do you have any more for us? Oh, yeah, man. Come on, man. When it comes to mistakes, I mean, we could talk about mistakes from now to, like, tomorrow. Um, yeah, you know what? Let me actually quickly bring one up. Um, yeah. I don't know how best articulate it, but I'll say there was a time... <clears throat> So this was, so I've been investing, I think about five years, this whole extra year that we've had in COVID just is gone so quickly. So I forget it. So, but there was a time in my earlier journey where I had um, an investment um, platform. I was using Heart Greaves Lansdowne and I was making a transfer from one account, I think into my ISA mm-hmm. or something like that. And I think it's called a bed and nice or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, this was in a particular uh, company, the, the money had grown quite a bit over the space of about nine months. I was happy with it. Um, but I wanted to put it, I think it was in my fund and share account, so like a current account for our listeners. Yeah. And I wanted to put it into my ISA account, which is an individual savings account, which is essentially a tax wrapper. Um, and when I had done that, <clears throat> let's say I originally bought the shares at like uh, $90 nine, uh, nine months ago. When I <laughs> yeah. sold on that day, obviously the share price has gone up. So um, it gone up to like 130 or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, when it resold, it basically sold the shares um, and became cash, then went into the ISA and then rebought those shares. Yes. So yeah. when I rebought, I didn't rebuy at the price that it was nine months ago. I bought at the price that it was at that time. So I actually lost out on some shares. And I wasn't expecting that. It hurt a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, it hurt me a little bit. But I was like, yo, what's happened? And it took me a while to realise what happened. But that is a mistake that I think um, some people, I, mean, I don't know if I'm the only one, but when you're yeah, transferring things to different accounts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it happens. It happens. Um, it's just one of those things. Um, and sometimes you can't you can't really fight it to be honest um especially when you know some people try and sell themselves mm. um and actually leads me on to some very very popular mistakes that i've actually spoken about this week when it comes to um you know the different types of accounts and that kind of stuff mm. um a common mistake i've seen so many people make <clears throat> is they uh they try and open up multiple ices Mm. they open up multiple stocks and shares ISAs, um, which is actually not allowed. So you're not allowed to open up multiple ISAs and deposit money into both ISAs within the same tax year. Um, you know, the platforms will probably allow you to do it in the sense that you can do it, but according to the tax rules, you're not allowed. So you should be expecting a letter from HMRC um, if you make this mistake. Also, another one is um, not understanding what platform fees are Mm. so you know there are different types of platforms and you know some of them come with their main benefits so the non-commissioned apps as the name suggests they are non-commissioned um you can have your own opinion on that there's a lot of debate as to whether they're actually truly free now that's up to you um but then when you compare it to the fees of uh, a platform that i've used for many years which is hargreaves lansdowne um the one of the I don't want to call it funny, but one of the most common funniest mistakes I have seen is many people that go on a platform like Hargreaves Lansdowne and they go and buy individual shares. So they buy into individual companies and they yeah. spend like a hundred pounds. Yeah. And so the, the, the dealing fees for, um, you know, these individual shares, these exchange traded shares and obviously ETFs as well, because they are exchange traded. They trade like individual shares. Mm. They charge you like £11.95 for each trade plus 
a foreign exchange fee if it's not in the UK, if it's not a UK or GBP type of stock. So you can easily be paid like 15 pounds and you've invested a hundred pounds. You've already lost 50% of your investment. <laughs> so, down, you start off down You start off down, down. down. And <laughs> what people don't realise, the way that needs to go back up 50% for you to just even break even. Funny, Some funny companies enough, don't do that in a few years, but carry on. Funny enough, Pierre, it needs to go up by more than 15%, the way the maths works. Because let me, show, let me explain the maths. If go you've got a hundred pounds and you lose 10%, you go to 90 pounds, right? Yeah. You gain 10% on the 90, you go to 99, not 100. Mm. Ah. <laughs> so, rule number one, so never, lose more, <laughs> never lose money. Never lose money. Never lose money. So essentially, if you're going to um, put money into one of those platforms where they are charging fees like 11 pound whatever and you want to start with a significant sum like a thousand pounds or so yeah, um, yeah. especially money to individual business or the next day trading fund if it's like a, a standard uh mutual fund or whatever they obviously have their ongoing fees but it won't be a a, a trading fee well, exactly, exactly. That's what I was going to say. If it, if you're if you're investing in index funds and mutual funds, they don't charge you an initial dealing fee because they're not exchange traded. You deposit into these funds. You don't trade them. Um, what they will charge you is a very small management fee per annum, um, and then they will divide that by twelve to get the monthly amount, and they will charge you monthly. Mm. Much much mm. cheaper. Absolutely. So if you are going to um, spend small sums, which is fine, that's the benefits of um, some of these uh, non-commission um, trading platforms as well, I guess. That's a pro. Um, on, on that, actually, on, on, on funds, uh, Jax, um, let's talk a bit more about some of the fees that sometimes we just might buy a fund, which is great in my opinion i'm a big fan of funds and but we might overlook the fee and in the grand scheme of things jack especially in your in the first year and you might see something like uh, i don't know an ongoing fee of 1.3 percent and you might think yeah okay but yeah that's all right i mean come on i'm putting one grand in here but let's talk a bit more about what that could look like in the years to come well, first and foremost, that is expensive. <laughs> and listen, we know a particular person that works for a particular company that, <laughs> that, that is cheap for. <laughs> oh, yeah, the hedge funds charge something ridiculous prices. Yeah. They, they've got different um, ch- uh, fee charging structure. And funny enough, retail investors can't um, have access to hedge funds, but there are mutual funds um, that charge close to that, that 2% mark. Um, and it's extortionate. I know 1% sounds really cheap, um, but the truth is, when you do the maths and you, you really understand what compound interest is or what, how compounding really works over a long period of time, that 1% can amass to tens of thousands to even hundreds of thousands over a long period of time, of course, depending on how much money you're dealing with, because it compounds with time as well. Um, and that's why, you know, the majority of um, people probably in my opinion, should really consider investing in what we call index funds, um, funds that are passively managed because they are the cheapest. Um, most index funds won't charge you anything more than sometimes like 0.1% or something. I've not seen one more than 0.2%. Um, I saw one the other day, a technology index that charges, I think 0.25% or something like that. That's the highest I've seen. Um, Mutual funds are more expensive, though. Those are the ones that can obviously go up to 
one percent one and a half percent sometimes even two percent because they are actively managed there is a fund manager who's trying to actively manage that portfolio and buy the best stocks for you the truth of the matter is i think about 70 percent of these active managers struggle to outperform the index over a long period of time especially when you include the fees into the calculation and so generally speaking it's not usually worth it there are some that are worth it and of course your job is to try and find those ones absolutely okay cool we've broken down quite a lot jacks what else is on your list i guess um, I've got my list is extensive, Peter. I think. <laughs> my list is so exten- extensive. Um, one thing I would say is most of the mistakes usually start off in one place and they kind of fall on top of each other. So all I've said earlier on is really important to start off with an objective in mind. I think one of that that's probably the biggest mistake. Not starting off with a specific objective. It doesn't. Sorry, it doesn't have to be specific, but if you have an objective that helps you to structure the portfolio much better it makes you understand what risk you're taking and that's actually number two really understand your ability and willingness to take risk so that's one of the mistakes i have found is some people have the ability to take risk but they don't because they're not willing to um, and that's probably one of the ones that are harder to understand but there's also there's also the people that obviously they don't have the ability to take the risk and they take it anyway that's 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 those are those guys we, we pray for um, but actually a common one is people that actually have the ability to take risk and they don't because they call themselves risk averse and risk averse is fine, but it's understanding what risk actually is and actually understanding whether you are really risk averse based on the raw definition. Being risk averse doesn't mean you're scared of risk. That's, that's what people need to understand because mm. risk is something that can somewhat be calculated if you take the different types of risks into calculation What I would say, for example, is if you are someone who's young, somebody who's got a very long term horizon, then you have the ability and the willingness to take more risk. And you probably should take a bit more risk. You probably should add a bit more, let's say, small caps or technology type of stocks, maybe a few growth stocks into your portfolio. What you shouldn't be doing, in my humble opinion, is buying things like government bonds. You know, you don't want to be buying government bonds with very low yield because those are for people that are about to retire, not, not, not you. So you can take a bit more risk. You can't say I'm going to buy just government bonds because I, you know, I'm risk averse. Unless you make a decision and you understand that you're going to get maybe the same as you're getting in the bank, then that's fine. That's obviously, at least you've understood what we mean by risk. Um, so yeah, have um, an understanding of what risk is. Understand that, you know, you can have the ability and the willingness to take risk. And if you can, you should. Um, and obviously we talk about time horizons, have a long-term horizon. Another mistake I've really, really um, picked up on, which I don't want to call it a mistake, but it's just something to be very, very aware of, is you don't always have to be an active investor, guys. <laughs> you don't always have to be an active investor. You can be totally passive, and that's fine. If you don't have the temperament, if you don't have the time to research companies like, like we do, then you can totally outsource it to a provider like a robo-advisor, mm. such as Nutmeg, such as Moneybox, Worthify, Money Farm, and these guys, where they will ask you a few questions and then they will manage the portfolio for you for a very, very um, affordable price. You can do that. You can do that. Or if you want to be a tiny bit more active but still remain somewhat passive, like I just said earlier, really, really consider funds. I, I will put a bet on to say that probably 90% of retail investors 
that are picking their own stocks right now over the next 10, 15, 20 years will not outperform indexes or indices. I think the term is indices. Mm. They won't, right? And that's why even Warren Buffett himself says when he passes away, I think he said 90% of his estate or something like that, I can't remember exactly details, should go into index funds. Mm-hmm. because the truth is the index funds are probably going to do better well they do better than the professional fund managers anyway yeah. let alone you the retail investor so mm-hmm. that's something to consider really 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 deep and one of the things that you mentioned that's things like the robo advisors um you know where you don't have to be an active investor you can just allow the robot to do everything for you on the basis of you answering some questions in the mean whilst they're doing that in the meantime over the months six months to 12 months to 18 months you could be really developing your knowledge if you want to one day become a bit more active so when the time is right you do that yeah Pure. that's exactly what a lot of my um the people that i've coached have done um they want to have exposure to the stock market they know they're not ready right now so they'll either buy funds or just outsource it to a robo advisor and then when it comes to um buying individual shares they may start but it will do with absolutely small amounts of money so things that will not change anything but what they're doing is they're building their experience they're building the emotional maturity of the stock market to see volatility and they're also learning how to research companies how to read financial statements how to read annual annual statements how to listen to earnings calls how to value a company when it comes to valuations and that kind of stuff and then in the future, they'll be much more ready to actually deploy a bit more cash. And what I probably suspect, Peter, is a lot of them will probably keep a lot of their money still with their, with their, um, with their passive investments because they will realise that they do well as well. That's it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow, man. Such a wealth of information. I think stuff that can relate to just a lot of us and probably any investor over listening right now or maybe a future investor as well, because these are the things that have happened, will happen to people. But when you listen to conversations like this, you can help avoid some of those things as well, man. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're all going to make mistakes. And That's we're it. humans and, you know, we're emotional human beings. So, you know, our emotions will always have some sort of impact when it comes to investing, especially if we say we are going to be active investors and we don't mm. just do things like dollar cost averaging. Um, but, you know, it's good to be aware of these mistakes um and if you are aware of them you can mitigate how many you make um mm. but as i say when you first start investing it's good to make mistakes just don't make mistakes with huge sums of money <laughs> <laughs> and again we're laughing because we've seen it happen oh we've so seen that not because oh. someone might be going through that now because yeah oh let me, let me actually let me let me throw some some mistakes that i've made you know um so I've, i gave one um about a company that I owned many years ago before it became popular, which was Tesla. Mm. And, you know, I bought shares in Tesla and I spent a handsome amount because my conviction was really high. And mm. then two mistakes. One, I was influenced by other people. So mm. people that were talking negatively about Tesla made me feel a bit more nervous about my own investment case. Mm. And two, um, I sold too early. I sold it for a very, very small profit. And I wasn't happy for it to continue running. So mm. th- those are two mistakes. And that, that second mistake is interesting because... It's the mistake we haven't spoken about, but just to throw it in there, sometimes, guys, let your winners run. Mm. If your company is doing really well, the chances are it's a good company and it's going to continue doing well. Um, don't get excited because you've made a few, couple hundred and you still have the asset. That's another mm. mistake I've seen. Selling so at the wrong time. Yeah. just, just well, sell, well, selling, selling too early. 
early too early just because you've made a small amount of profit that profit is probably breadcrumbs compared mm. to what you're going to make in the next 5 10 15 20 years and mm. um, so as long as the company's fundamentals hasn't changed and they keep executing why are you selling mm. and another mistake i think you mentioned it very early on in the in the podcast was trying to time things mm. so there was a time where um i was so sure peter and i know i told you i told you guys about this i was so sure that this company I was buying just before their earnings were going to absolutely destroy their earnings. Yeah, I was so confident. And again, I was even confirmed by a, a, another professional who, who was quite sure that the same thing was going to happen. Um, just because of what we've seen in terms of people shopping at this shopping company, uh, it, it's, it's, it was a company called Under Armour. You know, people, people were buying it. People were, every time I go to the gym, someone's wearing Under Armour. I was like, Peter, they are going to smash their earnings. And so I bought, I bought a handsome amount of shares in this company just before the earnings. And guess what? I was right. The earnings were smashed, but unfortunately for me, there was an accounting scandal. Mm. <laughs> there was an accounting scandal on the company and um, the, the share price dropped by, I think, 20% in one day. And I, told, I tell you, I had a handsome amount of money in this stock. Um, and that's what happens when you get too emotional and you get too mm. excited and mm. greedy. Um, you can make emotional decisions that don't make sense. It didn't make sense for me to put that much money into the stock because it was a short term. This is what I mean by mistakes. They're all kind of joint. Mm. You know, it was a short term thing. My emotions were too high. I didn't think about it. My research wasn't, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't the best. It wasn't with a long term approach. Um, I think the only thing I was lucky about this, Peter, was. Um, henceforth i f- finished my research and i was still happy with the stock um and over time it actually recovered and did really well for me but you know it's one of those mistakes you don't want to make absolutely it may have, it may have not recovered <laughs> exactly <laughs> now nice one for that jacks man i think this is an episode that's we're just gonna have to do we might continue another time but we're just gonna have to keep going um, because i just feel yeah so useful even me i'm learning as you're speaking as well um, and hopefully our listeners are finding this uh, quite valuable. And if you take this away, and again, as we would say, share with someone that you think might be uh, it might be useful listening to this and be on that journey with them as well. Um, so we can all grow together, win together, and be successful investors for our future as well. Remember why we're doing this as well. Um, and yeah, and I, and, I, and I guess that might go on to probably my final thing before we can wrap up and as I said, we can come back onto this um, another time, but remember why we're doing this. And I guess a mistake that I feel, and um, people might disagree, which is fine, but don't, and it's, it's dodgy when I say this, but don't do this solely for chasing after money because <laughs> it will influence how you go about doing things. If you are really just doing this to chase after money, and you adopt that sort of uh, gambling mentality, guess what happens in the co- casinos? Who actually wins when you go to a casino? It's the casino, not you. <laughs> it's so interesting you mentioned that. I literally, before we jumped on to record, posted something. As, as most of our listeners know, I'm a Christian. I, I'm a follower of Jesus. And First Timothy Amen. chapter 6, um, from 6 to 12, talks about chasing money. And it's a passage I always go down to uh, whenever I feel as if, I'm too involved in, let's say, stocks and that, and I'm chasing returns and that kind of stuff because it reminds me to go back and understand the kind of life I'm really living and mm. seeking righteousness and being content. 
Um, and again, understanding why we are doing this. We're doing this for ownership's sake, you know. Remember when you're buying shares, you're buying ownership in companies, you're building wealth so we can live a life of purpose and, and freedom away from the constraint that money tends to hold on people like us, especially from our communities and our demographics. So please try and remember why you're doing this. Always try and have a long-term approach and always stay woke, as we always say. Mad. Great finish, man. Thank you very much for that, Jax. We're going to be back in due time. So thank you, Jax. Thank you very much to our listeners and everyone, as Jax just said, remember all. Stay woke.